turn to page 49. Page 49 in your songbooks. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Page 49 as we get started this evening. All praise to him who reigns above in majesty supreme, who gave his son for men to die, that he might man redeem. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. shall stand exalted more and more at God the Father's own right hand where angel hosts adore blessed be the name blessed be the name blessed be the name of the Lord blessed be the name blessed be the name blessed be the name of the Lord Redeemer say friend of man, once ruined by the fall. Thou hast devised salvation's plan, for thou hast died for all. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. His name shall be Counselor, the mighty Prince of Peace, of all earth's kingdoms, conqueror, whose reign shall never cease. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Now let's turn to page 59. Page 59. I will praise him. When I saw the cleansing fountain,
Jesus, if you would, and we're going to cover maybe some somewhat familiar ground, but just want a little different twist on this. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, we're going to just go through the story of the conversion of Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. And uh, there's a lot of interesting people involved in this story, people that we often skip over. I mean, we center, and rightly so, on the life of Saul. He was the one who got saved. He was the one who became the great apostle Paul. But there is a lot of people that had an influence and an impact and some kind of inroads into Saul's and what I'd simply ask us to do as we look through this story tonight, I want you to ask the question, where do I fit in? We just praise the Lord and thank the Lord for opportunities to witness and give testimony. And that's something that every one of us ought to be involved in. Amen. And as a church, we work together as the body of Christ. Christ is its head. And there are very, very few things that happen in this life that happen just because of one person. Oftentimes, there are a multitude of unseen heroes involved. Someone was telling me the story uh, after church uh, this morning of, of one of our uh, servicemen who was a Navy SEAL. He, I believe second or third Navy SEAL killed in service in Iraq. And uh, he was part of an elite uh, sniper squadron, and as they were preparing uh, and carrying out their duties, uh, someone uh, launched a rocket-propelled grenade. It literally bounced off this lieutenant into the bunker in which they were. He fell on that grenade and covered the explosion, gave his life. Two or three other men of that squad were wounded, but no one else died. Had he not done that, there would have been several men dead, and everyone in that bunker would have been critically wounded by that attack. And we hear that story. The thing was, that's the end of the story of his life. He, he died doing that. But there were a lot of people that had influence on that man's life before he did that heroic act. Amen. In fact, I, I was listening as uh, one of the radio guys was reading his story uh, this past week and said he had already won a silver star helping to rescue a fellow Navy SEAL in a firefight and braving enemy fire to bring this one who was critically wounded back that he might live. I tell you, things do not happen in a vacuum, amen? We prepare ourselves to live or die as the case may be. 
And we think, we get wrapped up in, in our own little lives and we forget the influence that we're having on those around us. Now let's stop and be honest for a minute, both good and bad. Amen. And we have to understand that God is the one keeping those records. And as we look at this conversion of Saul, I just want to ask you a question. I want you to ask yourself a question. Where do I fit in? What is going on in my life? Where where would I have been if I were alive then? And, and what can God do with me today to help people? How many of you remember Brother Clayton's sermon on miracle conversion? Does anybody remember that message? Okay. You've heard that message. You don't forget it. You know, we need, we need some miracle conversions. And the Apostle Paul, Saul was one of those. He was a miracle conversion. Now, I've heard people preach and said, what if Jane Fonda got saved? She claims to have gotten saved. Now, I'm not a fruit inspector, but I'm not going to believe that God is working into her life until she apologizes for Vietnam. Now, maybe God has saved her. But if he did... Why is she out doing the exact same stuff that she was doing in the 60s today? She had a religious experience, I'll promise you that. But when you get saved, things change, amen? When Charles Finney got saved, every person in the county showed up to hear his testimony. He was the greatest agnostic in that part of Connecticut. He was a blasphemer beyond compare. When he got saved, when the word got around, everybody wanted to come and hear his testimony. And he's like finished, amen. Never again did he blaspheme. He was a servant of Almighty God. Now let's go through this this passage here. Verse 1, chapter 9. It says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Saul asked the greatest question that every person in here must ask. Who art thou, Lord? He just didn't say, who art thou? He said, who art thou, Lord? He said, I don't know who you are, but you're in charge. When you meet the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got to ask that question. Amen? And Jesus answered him. He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, question number two, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Interesting, verse 7, And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. 
And Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So here's the conversion. Number one, I'll tell you who you are not in this story. The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? He is the one that does the work of converting. Don't think that you can save somebody. I remember a person came to me, and I knew what this person meant when they said, I want you to save my son. And uh, I, I looked, and I said, I can't do that. Oh, I know, but I want you to tell him how to be saved. Well, that I can do. But you have to be careful, because there are some churches that teach that that preacher or priest or whatever name they want to call him does have power to impart salvation to that. That's not in the Bible. We do not give salvation to other people. Amen? You're not the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has to do the work of conversion in the heart. And if God doesn't do it, it's not done. I've dealt with many people over the years that are high-pressure salesmen for quote-unquote Jesus. They'll meet you at the door. They'll pass out a track. And I remember watching this one guy. He took this woman's hand, and she was very uncomfortable at that. And he said, I want you to meet Jesus. And, and, uh, and without even giving her a chance to answer, offer any kind of anything, he said, just pray after me. And uh, she sa he said, dear Lord Jesus, and she said, dear Lord Jesus, I want this creep to let go of my hand, but she didn't say that out loud. I'm sure she was thinking that in her heart. Uh, you know, I know him. He led her through the sinner's prayer, and then he looked at her, and he clapped her hand, and he said, Now you're saved forever. Is that salvation, my friend? No, that's not salvation. You would have thought you were talking to John Wayne after that was done. I've never knocked in my gun belt here. God isn't pleased with that. It's not salvation. Because you don't teach. Yeah, there are people that do this. You don't do it. God has to do it. But there was something that brought Paul to the road to Damascus, wasn't there? There were disciples of Jesus Christ who Paul had never met. But their simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their testimony of living for God was driving Saul mad. Now, we have people here, they want to do all kinds of things to fight against the world. I'm sorry. I am not going to lead our church to paint up a bunch of posters and go down to the gay pride parade and hold them up. Sodomites will burn in hell and all kinds of things like that. That's not how you fight the world, my friend. Now, there's people that do that. I met a guy one time. He said, my job is to scare Catholics. I said, really? I said, I, I thought it was to love them to the Lord Jesus Christ. You really want to get the world upset? Just live for Jesus, amen? Just be a Christian where you are. You really upset the world. I remember one time several years ago, we were 
down in lower Manhattan, and I think at that time we only had four or five kids. And we got turned around, and we're walking up some streets, and all of a sudden I could just feel. You ever feel someone staring at you? I mean, I could just feel the piercing look. And I looked at my wife, I said, Some, I, I don't know where we are, but we're in the wrong neighborhood. We were walking <coughs> down the streets of the West Village, and we were angry. you're going to overpopulate the world with all those kids. I think we ought to go down and go on parade again with all ten, amen? We really get some people upset. Now, we weren't down there to make people angry. We were actually looking for a store and got lost and wandered a little bit into the wrong domain. Yet, let me tell you, you want to anger the world, just be who you're supposed to be serving Christ. There are plenty of Saul's out there who are just foaming at the mouth because you exist. Amen? That's the first group. Could you be one of the disciples that made Paul so angry he was willing to travel the nearly 200 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus? Just so he could put these people called Christians in prison? Did they know that they were making Saul angry? That's the best part of serving God. You don't have a clue what you're doing. And that really drives them nuts. Because you turn around free of all anything towards them and shake their hand and offer them a gospel track, and I mean, they're just about ready to have a stroke. And you've not meant anything bad by it. You've just been who God made you to be, doing what God made you to do, in the place where God puts you. That's a good group to be involved in, amen? Then, we come down here, and we find that Saul was now three days without sight, neither did he eat or drink. Verse 10, And there was a certain disciple named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and we'll just we'll just go through this very quickly here. Ananias was another one of the special people in Saul's early life. God had somebody in Damascus he could trust to go talk to Saul. Saul was waiting for someone to tell him what to do. Here he was, the great doctor, trained in all the things he had, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized before he was 12 years old. I mean, this was, the, this was a man who knew everything there was to know about the Jews' religion. He was one of those hotshot, slimy lawyers before there was such a thing. And he put people in jail 
for the cause of Jesus Christ. And Ananias said, Lord, wait a minute. Do you want me to go see Saul? And God said, yes, I do. Look what it says here in uh, verse uh, 15. Go thy way. He is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way. And he prayed for Paul. For Saul. I keep wanting to call him Paul. Saul means exalted one. Paul means little one. It's interesting how the exalted one for this world's religion, when he really got serving God, changed his name to Paul, which means little one. And then God used him greatly. Amen. But Ananias was a faithful disciple who knew his scripture, who had a close relationship with God. He was somebody God could depend on to do what God said. Now, God's not going to speak to you like he did to Ananias. It's all written down. And I wonder sometimes, if God were looking for somebody to get the job done, would he call you? Would he call me? Oh, yeah, you certainly call Pastor Montoro. I don't know. Just Ananias is just a Christian in the church. You know, sometimes I go to try to talk to people. As soon as they find out I'm a preacher, they're gone. That guy, he, he's going to mess me up. He's going to put the voodoo on me. Those preachers, they're tricky people. They don't talk to preachers. But they'll talk to regular people. Maybe someone here tonight that's praying says, I want to be an Ananias. I want to be somebody God can count on to get the job done. And so Ananias came and, and uh, look at verse 9 and immediately... Uh, 19, and when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then Saul, then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Now, we've already alluded to this group a little bit, but there's a group of people, and no matter who you are, when you get saved, guess what? You're a baby Christian. Amen? No one gets saved a fully adult, mature, Christian. Do not think that you can take the talents you had in the world and use them to serve Christ. you got to start all over again when you get saved. Saul found a group of people. He was willing to start it all over again. Amen. And it wasn't long before he began uh, preaching and everyone said, isn't this the one that uh, Sent, uh, that the Jews sent to destroy the people of Jesus Christ. And in verse 22, But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying in wait, their laying await was known of Saul. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Now here comes the disciples again. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. 
We want disciples to just help each other, maybe. Where would Saul be if those simple disciples at Damascus hadn't gotten together and said, let's figure a way to get Saul out of Damascus so he doesn't get murdered by these people? You say, well, God could have shown a bright light around him and protected him, and God could have done this and that. You know what God did? He chose to use the disciples that were at Damascus. And that's a pretty cowardly way, letting a basket down the city walls. I challenge you, how many of you want to get in a basket 80, 90 feet up a stone wall and get lowered down the side of it? Not me, man. How'd you like to be one of those guys holding the rope? The longer you let out the rope, the heavier the weight gets at the other end. It took some time. It took some effort. Those men were sweaty when they went home that night, even if it was cold. Why? Because they had worked to save another man's life. God used them. Maybe you'll just be one of the disciples. What a worthy going on here. He comes to Jerusalem. I love this next guy. Verse verse 27. But Barnabas took him. Now this Barnabas guy. We first hear about Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. He brings, he's from Cyprus. He sells all of his land. He brings the money and he gives it to the apostles. And now he's living at Jerusalem serving God in the church that's at Jerusalem. All of a sudden, this is after many days, uh, we read the book of Galatians and we find out that Saul was in Damascus over three years. He had actually gone into Damascus, got saved, was there for a little while, left Damascus, was in the desert with the Lord Jesus Christ, got his training, came back to Damascus, and then he started having all the problems. Then he went to Jerusalem. And as he was in Jerusalem, you think James and John, well, actually, James is gone now. The James that was there was the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, not the apostle James. You think those disciples, Peter, Matthew, and the rest of them, wanted to be around Saul? He had murdered his their friends. They were afraid of him. They were afraid that this was some new angle that he had to, to arrest them and to hide them. And, I mean, and to put them in prison. But Barnabas wasn't afraid. He went to Paul. Now, Barnabas was older than Paul by many years. He was one thing Saul, who later became Paul, than no other man was. He was his friend, and he was really, uh, the word we use today, overuse it immensely, is mentor. He, he, was, he was Saul's example. He was the man that made things work, humanly speaking, for Saul. We won't take time to turn to all the verses, but in chapter 11, after several years had passed here in Jerusalem. 
Barnabas is sent on a mission after the Gentiles have received the gospel to go as far as Antioch. And he goes to Antioch and he sees what's going on and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit touches old Barnabas's heart and he says, Saul's got to be in my way. And so he travels all the way to Tarsus to find Saul and brings him back to Antioch. And for years, he is working with Saul, training him for the ministry. Now, Saul had already spent three years with the Lord Jesus Christ. He had already met the apostles. He had already been sent, as we're going to find out toward the end of this chapter, back home to his hometown and, and all of that. He had been saved for years at this point, maybe as many as six or eight years. But Barnabas found him. And later on, on their first missionary journey, in Acts chapter 13, Barnabas, who was always listed as Barnabas and Paul, I mean Barnabas and Saul, when he sees God begin working in Paul's life and that name gets changed from Saul to Paul, Barnabas, the older statesman in the religion, Barnabas, the one who had been responsible for most of Saul's training, earthly speaking, takes a back seat. And now it's Paul's company, not Barnabas and Saul. Hey, it takes a very spiritual man. Yeah, they had an argument a while later and had to split company. But guess what? Paul writes his last book. He says, send, send Mark. Send that little man that we were arguing about because he's profitable for the ministry. Why was he profitable? Because Barnabas spent some time with him. Okay, we could spend the whole night on Barnabas. One Barnabas is responsible for an awful lot of good. We need, we need some Barnabas. Amen. I hang around older preachers. Most of my preacher friends are collecting Social Security. They're real close to us. Why? Because I want to be influenced by those preachers who are not raised in my generation. Amen? I, I want to be under the influence of some of these older men, just like Saul was under the influence of Barnabas. I want these, these men to influence my life. We need some Barnabas. But you know how you get to become a Barnabas? You got to live two thirds of your life first. Then you can become a Barnabas. We don't have too many people willing to do that, amen. But we need to pray about it. We need to ask God that He would give us one. Barnabas, we could say, was Saul's. Now, we're just going to come down here and verse 29, he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and disputed in the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then 
had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplied. Last group. We have the brethren at Jerusalem. These were the mature Christians. These were many of the people who had heard Jesus Christ preach his sermon. These were the apostles, what was left of them. They heard Saul preach. They knew that he was a man that God could use. But they also heard and saw all of the trouble that was brewing because of his preaching. You know what? They gave good counsel to this young preacher, didn't they? They said, you need to go back home for a while. Now, what was at home? I don't know if there was a church in Tarsus. I don't know what was there. The Bible does not tell us. But it does tell us one thing. Saul got rest. The churches got rest. The churches were built up and edified, and people were walking in the fear of the Lord. That sounds like a pretty good result to me. How about you? Maybe God would have you be one of the brethren. And, and by the way, the brethren didn't get to become part of the brethren by asking to be one. Amen. These were people who had been serving God a long time and had seen many struggles there in the city of Jerusalem had been through the persecution. I'll tell you, one of the reasons I love to visit my home church, Prison Baptist Church, because I walk in and I see people who have been doing the same job decades. Now I'm going to even forget her name. The lady that ran the nursery for all of those years. I, I have a picture of her in my head. I just can't going to forget it too. Ingalls, that's it, Mrs. Ingalls. What was it, 25 years? She ran the nursery, the baby nursery. Sometimes 25, 30 squalling little brats. And she ruled that nursery with an iron fist. I mean, there was many a mother, including my wife, that walked up to the door of that nursery with fear and trembling, hoping everything was right for Mrs. Ingalls. And you know what? It was a good day. It really was. They bought her a washer and dryer when she retired because for 25 years or whatever it was, she did all the laundry for the nursery all by herself. Every Sunday night, whether she was in the nursery or not, she went in and collected all those sheets, 20-some beds, took them home, washed them. By the way, she taught school full-time, too. When we get to heaven, let me tell you, the brethren, I believe, are going to be the first ones in line. The people who have just faithfully served the Lord decade after decade. That does something to a church that nothing else can do. Now, we haven't been here decades yet. We're, we're praying we will be. But 25 years from now, when we're old and we can come in in our walkers and our wheelchairs, ought to take more than 25 years for that, I would hope. But wouldn't it be wonderful to see the same faces in many others? 
to the brethren. They were the ones that gave the churches rest by giving Paul the direction that he needed in his life at that time. And if there's something that only time will give the Christian, you got to grow up. Amen? I remember when I left home, 17 years old, for Bible college. You know what? There was some growing up that needed to be done. I was 21 when I graduated. like a theological textbook. You think Peter's bad? Uh, I'm trying to save him from what I did to myself. Amen? Praise God, there was a brother Clayton who was willing to put up with me. Praise God, there was a brother Thompson who gave me a job teaching at school and in the bus garage. I had some growing up to do. And by the way, I still got some growing up to do. And maybe some growing out too. We'll just see. But uh, I'll tell you what we need to do. We, we've seen these groups, and, and first of all, we had the disciples against whom Paul was angry, who had just uh, whipped him up into a froth. Ananias, who was willing to go talk to the dependable one, the one God could send. The disciples who were at Damascus who were just faithfully serving the Lord, and they were willing to allow Paul to come and sit in their services, the man who had sought their harm and their destruction and love him and care for him, and make sure that he got out of Damascus alive. There was Barnabas. Oh, how I love Barnabas. But how about the brethren? Oh, we question I simply have for us tonight. Where are we going to fit in? Where are we going to allow God to use us? See, anybody could be a disciple, amen? If you're going to be one of the other ones, you've got to grow up a little bit. Like, how do you start that? Uh, right where you are. You'll be a disciple long enough, you'll become a brother. It just happens like that. We need some men and I. We desperately, desperately need some Barnabas. One of my prayers is that I won't become a crotchety old preacher who thinks he knows everything. That God could use me to be a Barnabas someday. We need some Barnabas. That takes half a, it takes two-thirds of a lifetime before you get started. But those brethren, they were the ones that gave the church a rest. We're struggling with Let's be honest, we are as a church. I think one of the reasons why we're struggling is because we've got some people who God wants to make brethren. 
not against you, it's a testament. It's just you. We've got some people that God wants to change from just being saved to disciples. Guess what? There's some struggle in that. Let's uh, ask the Lord to put it as He wants to do. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to do your work in our hearts and lives. We ask you to make us what you would have us to be. And we pray that we would be able to look at this passage and be reminded during the week by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that we would remind you that we want more than what we have right now, but we want to be faithful where we are. We want you to use us as you use these men in the life of the man who became the Apostle Paul. Jesus' name we pray. Before we say amen, maybe you'd like to add your own prayer to that. Maybe you'd like to spend a little time at the altar.